0: Welcome back to the Pool Pro Podcast, episode number 16. Are you curious what pool inspectors are looking for when they inspect a pool? All service companies should listen to this episode. Welcome back to the Pool Pro Podcast. This is Michelle Kavanaugh with co-host...
1: Dave Rockwell.
0: Hey, Dave. Nice to see you on a Saturday afternoon. I'm in very humid Vermilion, South Dakota as of right now, so... I'm I'm sure that Lauren, our guest today, is probably having the same issue, but you're in beautiful Southern California, Dave, which is probably the best place to be in the world as far as weather is concerned. Yes.
1: 75 (laughs) degrees and bright sunshine. Yes, and Lauren, we're
0: so happy to have you here. This is Lauren Broom. She's the owner of Space Coast Pool School. I have known her for a long time as a member of the NSPF team over the years. She's an NSPF, now PHTA instructor. We're very excited to have you, Lauren. Thank you for coming on today.
2: Thank you for having me today. I'm very excited to be on your podcast. I've uh, wanted to for a while. I've listened to your different podcasts and they've been awesome guys. And Thanks like for Michelle.
1: That.
2: Yeah, like Michelle said, I've known her for a long time through NSPF and PHTA and uh, you said hunt her out at our local pool show down here in Florida. Yes, and- absolutely. And talking about the weather, we've got great weather here in Florida too. It's been a little rainy this week, but it's uh, it's gonna get better. We, we yes. go through this in the summer, so.
0: So you just finished a CPO certification course today. So thank you for allowing us to record. Tell us a little bit about your background, Lauren. So I know you do training, certainly. Do you train all aspects of the industry in Florida? Who do you train specifically?
2: I'm, I train pretty much anybody in the industry. They, some people that do just re- mm-hmm. residential pools, Uh, Take the class. Um, They know that specifically in Florida. They're not required by code to have the certification But of course education is always an awesome thing for anybody to do uh, When they're starting a business and be able to learn about the pool chemistry recreational water illnesses and and the components of a pool and, and operate it properly to keep people safe and healthy So it doesn't matter if it's a residential, commercial, public pool. Across the board, that educational course, no matter if you do it as a fusion or an online, which we're doing online classes right now, and then once we're past COVID-19, back to in-person classes, um, that education piece is great for the entire pool service market um, from Mm -hmm. residential to commercial. And you have
0: an interesting background, too, because don't you have a background also in maybe inspecting pools or, or training people that are inspecting pools? Can you talk a little bit about that, Lauren?
2: I have a, a experience of about 16 years with, uh, you know, what's involved with regulatory mm-hmm. inspections for uh, public swimming pools, um, specifically in the state I'm in, which would be yeah. Florida. Mm-hmm. I'm just specialized in that code. Um, since I've been teaching certified pool operator courses down here. But I've also got uh, 16 years experience in those epidemiological investigations of recreational water illnesses. So,
0: And, and I think you're probably oh, yeah. on the CDC's team in regards to COVID-19, where it's, you can't be passed in the water. And I don't think the water is a concern as much as, as long as it's treated properly. But I right. think the services are the biggest concern or potentially, you know, inhalation and that type of thing.
2: Correct. There's been a lot of questions about COVID-19 and public swimming pools and when they can reopen. And if they were required to close or if it was voluntary closure, and that depends on your local municipality with their executive orders. It could be down to the city, the county, the state. So specifically, you'd have to contact that specific regulatory authority. But the, the, the big guidance is social distancing, COVID-19 is about that social distancing and making sure we don't have large groups of people at the, at the pool and right. that we sanitize all of those um, surfaces with yeah. an EPA registered disinfectant that can kill COVID-19. Right. So you have, there's a list, I mean, the EPA has that list there that you can look they up do. your mm-hmm. disinfectant yep. to make sure it's gonna be uh, effic- have efficacy toward that particular uh, virus. So that some of the big things we tell people is like, remove tables and chairs, maybe only leave a couple out. But you really just want to host to the people that are going to go there for their lap swimming or their water aerobics. And then they're going to go home because there's no place to hang out. Yeah. And that really reduces the likelihood of transmission at that point. So that's what a lot of the recommendations in general, I mean, there's a lot more detail in it, especially yes. if you read the CDC guidelines that came out in mid-May for public swimming pools specifically. Um, but if we're gonna stay general, it really generally gets into surfaces. But people forget some of the surfaces, Michelle and, and David. <laughs> it's bathroom, door handles, bathroom, Any fixtures in the bathroom, it could be the gate handle going into the pool area. So they got to really make sure they're thinking about all those surfaces when they're disinfecting for COVID-19. I know that's the hot topic right now. It is the hot topic. Hey, I was
0: going to ask you, because don't you think, you know, even I was at a campground in California before I moved on from California, and the swimming pool was actually open at the campground through the entire uh, shutdown. So what they did is they made you go inside the office and you had to reserve a spot in the pool area and they were only allowing four people at a time and you had to space yourself in all four corners of the pool um, and they had the gates locked so you couldn't get in unless they let you in and I thought that was kind of a good system and they actually disinfected all the chairs and everything after each round of people being in their little corners and then the next hour for additional people could go in and you had to leave. Then they went in and disinfected everything. I thought that was a really great way to do it. And maybe for like the HOAs and um, you know motels and things like that, if they're considering reopening or if they can, that that'd be a good way to maybe ma- monitor it if they, if they have the staff to do it, I guess.
2: Right, and, and it depends on the state that you're in. If you're gonna have, some states have requirements for lifeguards at their public swimming pools and other states uh, do not. So if there's not really an attendant, I mean, there's nothing in the Florida rule about specifically having attendance there. Um, so they're, they may not have a staff to be able to do that, but that is actually a very good idea, Michelle. Yeah. I thought There's so a, too. People always think of something
0: new. They do. Yes. And I was, it was nice that when, you know, cause I was kind of quarantined there in my little camper in, in Orange County for a couple of months. And it was nice to be able to go to the pool to get out. So I'm hoping that they'll start opening that, you know, those and because it's good exercise too. It's yeah. good for you. So I hope they do that.
2: We had We had a lot of pools in in Florida that were actually closed, so they did, a a lot of them did voluntary closure. And we were getting so many calls from the residents wanting to reopen their pool. Yeah. And then then we had concerned pool service companies with liability, if there was going to be liability on them since they serviced the pool. And I said, that's something that you have to think about. And so is the property, you know, the property owner has to think about is liability. That's always something that's got to be in the back of their head. Yeah, that's true.
0: If, you know, a lot of the listeners for this particular podcast are service guys. A lot of them are backyard service guys doing backyard pools. And, and, And speaking about inspections, if their service company does do any kind of motel or HOA or, or, apartment complex pool or something like that can you just give us just a little you know maybe uh, what you would expect you know if somebody were to come inspect their pool because of an incident or something like that what what should they be looking out for is there something you can tell us about you know are you should make sure all of these things are taken care of and potentially in case an inspection happened can you can you comment on that lauren
2: Yeah, um, I mean, of course, the big thing is uh, making sure you're doing a visual inspection of the pool area for obvious safety hazards and that kind of thing. So, I mean, we can give some examples of like glass in the pool, glass on the pool deck. Um, The biggie, make sure your main drain cover is intact and has no holes in it, Uh, especially if it's an older pool that's on direct suction. We really need to make sure that drain cover uh, is meeting the Virginia Graham Baker Pool and Spa Safety Act. Yep. And, and, and that should be one of the first things you look at when you walk into that pool area is making sure that has no holes, it's not loose. So many times you walk in and there's something wrong with that drain cover. It just comes loose, maybe the, a screw came undone and so part of it is lifted up. So looking at that every time you're there, but checking your chemical levels every time you're there. Um, some, most states will require daily testing for the, any type of public pool for chlorine or pH. And, and you really need to be checking that because your recreational water illness outbreaks are going to be based on how you maintain your disinfectant and pH levels. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. Those are direct correlations to to that. I mean, the only exception will be cryptosporidium. Cryptosporidium mm-hmm. is that one that takes 20 parts per million for 12.75 hours to inactivate the OO in the life cycle. So if you have initial case that was identified by your local regulatory authority, local health department, they're gonna call that pool operator once they've done all that, and they're gonna make sure that they've talked to the pool operator and that they're gonna follow those CDC guidelines for fecal accidents based on diarrheal incidents. And and that if you don't follow that at that point, then you're gonna be, and you get more cases that the health department finds out about, then that's where now you have that whole negligence thing that happens as a pool operator. So that, that chlorine and pH, but logging your chemicals as well is a, big, is a biggie. Um, another big thing that people forget when they walk into that pool area is checking that gate behind you. Is it self-latching and, and self-closing? Um, it's not in our section, specifically in Florida code, that that's a closure item. But when that doesn't self latch or self close properly, I believe it does fall under a Florida building code violation and that may trigger the closure there. It's not under the enforcement section. So it may be a type A violation for Florida building code that would result in closure of the pool. But that's because what's the leading cause of death in children ages zero to four guys? That will be drowning. Drowning. So if you've got an apartment complex and mom or dad fell asleep in a bottom apartment and two or three-year-old toddlers get out of the apartment and they're able to push that gate open, curiosity draws children like that of all ages, especially zero to four to the pool and they fall in. And we both know swim lessons isn't the only layer of protection for these children. So making sure that that gate uh, closes behind you and latches properly. So these are some of the highlights of things. Um, we could go on forever about pool yes, inspections I hear you. And what You want to look at because it goes from the pool to the equipment area. Yes.
1: So a lot of the people that we've talked to recently on the podcast uh, have brought up the, the issue of cryptosporidium. Um, what is your general sense? Are, are outbreaks of, of crypto on the, on the uprise, are they, are they becoming more frequent?
2: Um, I think it's more that it's being identified by our local uh, doctor's offices and labs and that kind of thing. It, it's just like we've seen an uptick in Legionella pneumophila outbreaks and that being identified. And you know, that's not always spread by a spa or a splash pad. It can be spread by HVAC systems that are contaminated or cooling towers or anything, hot water systems that are contaminated where you got dead end plumbing. So yeah, there's an uptick, but a lot of times it has to do with testing. It's kind of like COVID-19, there's kind of that uptick, but it's also an increase in testing there. So it's the same thing with some of these other organisms. Um, There are certain years that we seem to have more outbreaks, but like specifically in one outbreak that I have great experience with was back in 2007. And it was with a splash, pad, started in a splash pad. And, you know, those are traditionally used by young children in swim diapers and a potty train. And swim diapers, we both know, don't hold everything in completely well. So nope. you got a spray feature that may shoot right up their, their little panty line. And it sh- if, if there's not disinfectant in there, it's not going to kill. And if they're ill with, diarrhea, you know, and they've got crypto. So there's an uptick in cryptosporidium, but this particular outbreak, what people don't remember or realize is that what we call recreational water illness can move to a a different part of the outbreak. If you're in public health, you know that because you can't just separate recreational water illnesses from say that child or their sibling goes to a childcare center then you spread it through diaper changing. A recreational water illness could have been a foodborne illness at first. And that person got it from eating contaminated food or improperly hot held food. So that would lead to that person if they're ill and you don't have enough disinfectant in the water, foodborne illnesses becomes a recreational water illness and can become a facility outbreak. So it kind of can transfer between different areas. And this particular cryptosporidium outbreak indeed did start as a recreational water illness and then went to a childcare center and then spread through improper hand washing and diaper changing. So people don't realize the impact of allowing people with diarrhea to use a pool because specifically cryptosporidium, the Centers for Disease Control recommends you wait two weeks when your symptoms end but what pool company is going to know that yeah so that's why they have to follow those cdc guidelines immediately in order to try to stop the transmission to more people in that community or hotel do you think there's
0: enough outreach to the public to be able to say to them if you have diarrhea or you're sick do not come to the pool do you think there's enough outreach in that rate lauren
2: I don't think there is no and and they think they get grossed out by it. I mean, there is new signage now on on specifically in Florida on public pools that any it was I forget what year it was like four or five years ago, maybe signage that required specifically like on splash pads and stuff like that. Do not swim while ill with diarrhea. But I believe they may have added it to the pool rule sign too. And I know our-
1: They, they know have here.
2: Yeah. The communities don't like having that on their sign because it, the word diarrhea kind of scares people. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of gross to them. It's so not a sales own.
0: tool to get people to the to the splash pad or the park. No.
1: And I remember uh, for a while and I was doing a, a very high-end- Posh Country Club in North San Diego County uh, for years. And they had quite a number of uh, fecal accidents. And I would clean it up, chlorinate the area, close the pool down. And the minute that pool was closed, the they were clamoring to to get the pool open as quickly as possible. It's like they couldn't wait to swim in a pool that had been contaminated. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people?
2: Do you, do you know why? Most peop- general public people expect their pool that's an amenity to be open 365 days a year. Yep they don't realize the real world scenario that it's got to be closed sometimes for regular maintenance or yeah, chemical maybe. adjustments or something like that. And I wish there was more known to the public about, you know, what, when they have diarrhea or when they're ill and also what expectations are. So it'd be a little bit easier for our service industry. The pool service industry gets such a hard time when they have to close that pool. I feel. Yeah, for they them. Do.
1: Well, I, I knew these people, thought that their poop didn't stink, but apparently they thought it didn't make people <laughs> sick either.
2: <laughs> yes,
0: exactly.
2: So we've been talking about cryptosporidium and and the biggie that's the biggie. It counts for 75% of our recreational water illnesses. So yeah. that's that's why. And it has to do with being very chlorine tolerant because if you look at Giardia, which is also a protozoan parasite, it you know it it's easily killed at a one part per million. 45
1: minutes it's a vastly different
2: concentration amount of chlorine compared to cryptosporidium
1: so so given that um is it really time do you think to stop looking at chlorine as a standalone sanitizer that maybe we do need to supplement it with uv ozone other things uh because uv inactivates crypto a lot quicker. Ozone kills it almost on contact. Um, So if these were added to the repertoire, it would also take the load off the chlorine, the the oxidation part of it, Mm -hmm. and chlorine could just work on being a residual sanitizer. So wouldn't we have a lot better water quality in our pools if we started doing that?
2: Yeah, I I, as long as it's a secondary disinfectant and you still have your primary disinfectant that you can actually test a residual so that you can actually say to a public health department or regulatory authority, this is what my level is on my primary disinfectant, you have to have a way of proving something. With UV or or ozone, there's just not a way of doing that. But we know it works and it's a great secondary disinfectant. And I believe like uh, in Florida specifically, um, they added to the rule new splash pads after a specific year were required to have UV secondary disinfection. And that's yeah. because I believe they probably look back at the numbers uh, on outbreaks and probably determine that that's probably where we see a lot of our outbreaks. Because you have a lot of children that are not of uh, toilet trained age at, at that point. I mean, there's a lot of three to four year olds that are still not potty trained. So if they're still going to that splash pad, um, you know, a common name, you know, that we like to give, that people don't like to hear, but we like to call them baby bidets. Yes, <laughs> right. they, they good point, that's up, a good point, Lauren. They put their little butt up there and then they like to, dr- <laughs> they like to drink the water too. I've, 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 <laughs> I have a picture of a child, I took the name off of it and it was in the local paper for a splash pad and it even said in the caption this child was going to drink the, was drinking the water in the splash pad and mom and dad don't know it's recirculated water and it's got to be treated just like a swimming pool or a spa so there's not a lot of good knowledge with splash pads but i don't think that a lot of our service people deal with splash pads they deal more with um, spas and pools yeah and so in crypto is very easy to spread through pool or spa water if it's not chlorinated properly yeah you know legionella is going to be more of your what your crowd is taking care of is going to be from the spas because that's going to be air that one's such a special bacteria right there if we talked about recreational water illnesses that one's so interesting it has to be spread through mist through water mist through like when you turn your jets on on the spa and you don't even have to be in the spa. If you're downwind from that mist blowing down to you and you're on the pool deck sunning yourself, unfortunately it hits our elderly the worst because they're the ones that develop the pneumonia. You and I and Michelle, we could all test positive for Legionella with the antigen test. It's like a urine antigen test, but we probably been exposed to it, but we didn't become symptomatic. Yeah, so it's, it hits our elderly very hard with that pneumonia because they will develop the symptoms of Legionnaires disease or Pontiac disease.
0: What do you think as far as Dave, you know, as far as these backyard guys that are, they don't, I don't think they think about recreation, you know, that's not recreational. What do you think, They don't think they think about the illnesses in the backyard as much as obviously people that are doing light like commercial um, or commercial pools. Do you think that service guys in the backyard maybe don't think about these kinds of things being passed in the backyard as much as they should and, and what do you what do you how do you speak to that
1: I'm, I'm seeing a lot a lot of improved awareness uh, I know Lauren's part of a lot of the uh, the social media groups that that uh, yeah cool people talk to each other through these um, through that media and I'm seeing more and more of an increased awareness and a, and a knowledge of water chemistry and the dangers involved. Um, I think the biggest, uh, the, the lack of education is among consumers, swim, uh, pool yeah. owners, yeah. Uh, residential pool owners, um, users of commercial pools. Uh, I mean, I, I sit, stand back in horror and watch people get into a pool where you can't even see the main drain, it's the water's so cloudy and dirty. It's mm-hmm. been out of chlorine for most of the weekend and they're still swimming. And it's just the lack of awareness on people's part.
0: Are there resources out there, Lauren? Are there, are there flyers or resources out there that actually educate consumers on some of these risks? Um,
2: great resources on the CDC website. We yeah. okay. can find lots Healthy, of great resources. Is that swimmingorg yep. or something? Yep, the swimming.org. You can find anything from if a duck was in your pool, any bird, raccoon, and how to treat the water. And they write it in such a way that it's simple for people to read and understand. That's what I usually like about the information they put on that website. Yeah. But getting to the, the, your crowd that service more residential pools in the backyard I do see, I agree with David, there is a better increase in knowledge on um, on our pool operator and getting education and understanding the pool chemistry they have to maintain in order to uh, keep the recreational water illnesses down. But they're also understanding how to treat a fecal accident, which is still important in a residential pool um, because one of the big things when we go through those steps is they take their skimmer pole and everything from pool to pool. So if they use that to clean up a poo that they found in one residential pool and they don't throw that pole or that skimmer or whatever vacuum line, whatever they're using into that pool at the same concentration of chlorine, you're just gonna be transferring potentially a recreational water illness from one residential private pool to another as they service how many in a day. So I know that a lot of that is geared more toward commercial sometimes, but it really is important for the residential market as well. I really do think that because even though these people don't know each other, one person could potentially get 20 pools that day sick and the people that use them. So yeah, it's yeah. Still, it, it could still turn into an outbreak. It just will be scattered based on their service area at that point for that particular day.
1: And talk about the liability you'd have to worry about if, if that ever became known that, yes. that it was your route that everybody on your route got sick.
2: So again, the education piece really comes in, you know, that either the surf, any of those pool operator courses, I, I mean, yeah. I teach the, CP, the CPO, but there's lots of pool operator courses that your regulatory authorities approve, you know? Yeah. So as long as they're trying to get some type of education so that they know what they're doing.
0: Yeah. Are there any new? Is there any new new
2: technology, Lauren, in regards
0: to um, testing uh, for those kinds of things in the water? There was a gentleman I was talking to in Texas, and I can't even I can't divulge the company or all that information because it's still in the works. But they're gonna have a test that you can actually take around to your house. You can you can swab areas of your house. It'll test for crypto. Services on the pool and like it's a new technology where you're able to actually swap for crypto and within 15 minutes you'd get a re- result. What do you think about that?
2: Some, sometimes when they're quick, you might get a false. It's kind of like yeah. the, the test that we're getting now for COVID-19, sometimes the quicker it is, doesn't mean it's always the better result. You yeah. can get false readings and stuff like that. So, you know, generally if we feel like a regulatory authority may feel that they wanna test the water, they usually do that test where they're gonna probably be growing some type of culture in a lab or doing something that's gonna be more lengthy, but it's gonna be a lot more um, accurate at that point. But generally, when there's a recreational water illness outbreak investigation, there is no testing the water for crypto or a specific organism. Mm -hmm. It's more about, okay, this has happened, we need to move forward. The yeah. important part is the fecal guidelines and getting that cl- disinfectant level to the proper level for the amount of time because we don't want more people to get sick. So that's kind of where, when you have you know, a positive lab comes in, the person gets interviewed, then that person is spoken to, if they were positive for crypto, they would be advised not to go swimming for two weeks yeah. in any body of water and you would hope that they would follow it. It's not like somebody's gonna follow them around, they're a private person. <laughs> right, right. Nobody's gonna follow them around making sure they don't go swimming. We hope that over the phone that you can give them as much information and that they understand the importance of it and how they affect other people. So that's more how public health works, I, you know, from my experience, than it does trying to test for the organism itself. Right. What's the number
1: well,
0: one? Go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry.
1: Um, another, another topic, but uh, something I've been kind of curious about. Um, how has the, uh, the change from uh, CPO being an NSPF uh, or part of that organization to the PHTA, how, has the, how have things changed? Um, what, what's different now, if anything?
2: Um, I mean the class hasn't changed the the CPO class is the same class and and book and content same that materials. We, same materials um they haven't changed a whole lot for us it just transitioned you know to the, when the new book came out this year the content inside they really made the inside look nice a lot of the pictures and charts were updated and then they put Pool and Hot Tub Alliance on the front cover. But the content itself hasn't changed. It's just they updated some of the charts and stuff to be a little bit easier to read. But um, same two day class. Um, The recent thing that they did for us was allow us to be able to do online certified pool operator courses. And I've been one of the instructors that's been teaching since early April doing online classes I'm sure you've seen me all over social media right. <laughs> with, with all of my videos and everything else. Um, people seem to really love those videos. They tell me, uh, "Did you <laughs> make?" They ask me, "Did you make them?" And I go, "No, actually, somebody that lives here in a little town that I live in made it, and she—it's not even her full-time job, you know." Yeah. Uh, sometimes the the small people you find to do stuff for you you know is really nice but that was a really nice thing that they did for us because we didn't know how long we were going to be able to te- not teach in-person classes yeah And with social distancing and the group size um you really couldn't ho- have a class in person so safety-wise doing it this way. So the big thing for them is they had to move the paper CPO test to an online test platform where it was secure, When where the, the instructor still had control over who got in, who took it, and then we proctored. And most of us have been using the Zoom platform like you guys use for your podcasts but you know, there's different platforms that a couple of others have used. So it's, it's using that online platform. Um, specifically, Florida has a different um, company proctor the test. So all the other states, we proctor that test ourselves. And then the, the health department in Florida had those specific instructions when they were gonna approve the online CPO class. So there's a lengthy steps that we have to do to make sure that our our pool operators certification will be valid yeah. in, in the state of florida so but they've worked through all of that and there's ups and downs because it had to move so quickly so they moved that very quickly and so you know there's some oopses and some you know people make errors and and that's we're all human so that happens but overall, it's been a wonderful thing. I, I enjoy doing the online CPO. I've met people from all over the place. I had somebody from Canada. Today, I had somebody from the Emirates. And my wow. was oh, taking, wow. he was taking the test when he was finishing up. It was 2 a.m. in the morning. I had wow. a student from the Philippines in one of my first classes. And today, I also had a gal from Queensland, Australia. What the heck? Yeah. yeah, they all were like, "Oh my God, we don't get CPO over here that often." So <laughs> they were so happy and thrilled that it was online and they didn't have to travel. So yes. they signed up for a class. It's been really cool. I met in talking about ozone, David. There yes. was I, I don't remember her name. She lives in California and she helped write the section on ozone for the model aquatic health. Group. That's Beth. Yes, she took my first online CPO class. Oh, wow. Yes. (laughs) So that was so cool to have her in there. She actually, I let her talk about ozone when we got to ozone (laughs) because I said, you know more about ozone than I do. So I'm just going to let you talk about it here. She was awesome to have in class. But those are the kind of people I've met doing online CPO that otherwise I only meet the people in Florida because I really only taught CPO within Florida and not even the entire, within a three to four hour radius of where I live. So I can travel there and get home on the same day. Yeah, right. (laughs) That's fantastic, I love that, Lauren.
1: That's true. The great
0: thing about the online portion is you could bring in experts to present, just like Beth did. You could bring in experts on particular subjects Mm -hmm. to present during the online course, which is great.
2: Right, And, and the nice thing is now that they moved that test online, I'm gonna be able to teach online CPO to 21 states still that do not have pool operator certification requirements. Yeah. So they've opened the door for me to have other opportunities, uh, PHTA has, which is really nice. It, I, it has me really excited because Florida, we're still gonna to have to go back to in-person classes. They've appro- a lot of the states with pool operator certification have approved online CPO through COVID-19, and once we open up to whatever phase they say is appropriate for us to do in-person classes, we're back. So yeah. within the state I'm in, I'll be doing my three, four hour trip again for my in-person classes, but- You can still nice. do online
0: classes for anybody outside of Florida. Well, only in those 21 states, that yes, I'll, have to list, I'll have to list them. You got Queensland and UAE and <laughs>
2: all those other, Canada, you could do them everywhere for those yep. people. yep so it'll it'll be fun i me and some of the other instructors we really enjoy the in-person two-day class though because we we have that hands-on training and i call it show and tell so i have this big container that i can't even lift by myself usually one of my students has to help me get it out of the back of my prius and i roll it in and i've got like a center pump and an erosion feeder and a cartridge filter, and I I've packed all kinds of different test kits because I've got two different photometers. I've got all kinds of different things that I bring out for water testing. We normally go out to the pool and test the water. That's the best type of class to go to is for for your your industry for residential commercial. Yeah. It's going out to the pool area. I mean, you still get the death by PowerPoint, but at least part of it is going out and actually seeing things rather than yeah, just seeing yeah. pictures on a PowerPoint. And that's how me and some of the instructors um, that I've talked to that I'm friends with that you probably know, Michelle, over the years, um, like to teach our classes. So I have missed those two-day classes so much in that way that I can't wait. I'm going back to my first in-person classes in mid-July here in Florida. And I can't, I can't wait. It's going to be fun to just see people physically again as well. I think the mix between the two will keep me very uh, different. It won't feel all the same. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: yeah. Agreed. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. We appreciate you being on the podcast today. You have a wealth of knowledge. We could probably talk, you know, three, four other times and get more information at it because you have so <laughs> much. I'm, I, I can feel your passion in regards to teaching. And so thank you for all you do to to help people, you know, gain some knowledge in this area because that's important. And Dave and I are big believers in elevating their their expertise or their professional level and and education is a big part of that. So we're
1: thankful for a big part of that.
2: Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And if any of you guys out there that listen to the podcast and you want to talk more about cryptosporidium or diarrhea pools or (laughs) finding those uh, floaters or what what do we call them, Tootsie Rolls, (laughs) give me a call. Find me on social media. I I specialize in that. I have a shirt that says, uh, S-H-I-T happens. Yeah. So yeah. I'm known as, I have all my little things like this. I don't know if we have video here. So I usually, this is kind of my props <laughs> for my class. Yes. So if you want to talk about this and, and anything else that we've talked about today, they're welcome to contact me in any And what's way. your website?
0: What's your website for your business, Lauren?
2: Spacecoastpoolschool.com. So, and i do have a blog so if they want to you know look at my blog i put articles i do have guest blog articles as well okay um, i put up my uh podcast that i'm in like once you guys publish this one i'll probably have that as linked yeah. to, my, to my blog if that's okay with you guys of course, of course. yes it's such an honor to be on your podcast today thank you so
0: much Thank We're you, so Lauren. Stay, stay cool down there. I know it gets hot in about a month or so. And, and uh, so stay cool.
2: Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Lauren.
0: Thank you. Have a good one, you guys. Bye. Bye bye.
1: Bye now. Bye.
2: A new voice in the industry, a resource for all, education for you. This is Pool Pro Podcast. Build relationships and share important news as we get ready for our next backyard adventure. Pool Pro Podcast. Backyard adventures are better together. Please take a moment to share, like, and review our content with all of those that would be interested.